quick apology before you listen to the afterward today. I did not record it correctly, so it didn't actually go through the mics, but through the computer. So if the sound fit seems a little bit weird, that's why. Hopefully I'll remember to get it fixed next week. Thanks for listening. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best way we started so far. Welcome to the afterward. Thank you for listening. Our goal here is to look at the text some more, then take some more angles at it, talk about it some more, process it together, and then see how God is revealing himself to us and raising our affections for him through this text. So that's why we're here. Hopefully this is helpful for you. If it is, let us know. And if it's not, let us know, but kindly and gently. Maybe yeah. email Vince at vinceatthetownchurch.org. <laughs> uh, I'm joined here by Kirsten Black and Vince Black, and I am Eric Reeves. And let's get after this first question. First question is this. What is your favorite cereal? Where's that found in the text? You have to look really closely. First hesitations. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Favorite cereal. Kirsten, go. Um... You know, I don't eat a lot of cereal. No, that's not what we're asking. That's not me, the question. You didn't let me finish. You didn't let me finish. I don't eat a lot of cereal. But if I do, I'd probably go towards like a granola. Um, yeah. When I was a kid, my favorite was Golden Grahams. And we got to pick one box of sugar cereal a month growing up. And so when it was my month to pick three times a year, I would pick <laughs> Golden Grahams. <laughs> we need to get you a box of Golden Grahams. Would you eat it today or not? Probably not. Wait, no. through, how, I'm trying to do the math. My sister, I have two sisters. Yeah. And each of so us. there's nine. Okay, four times a year. <laughs> okay. I was trying to Vince figure out. is Mr. Math all of a sudden. He's, he's being a little, a little snarky. A little extra. All right. All right. <laughs> I'm going to rebuke you. Okay. Oh, that's a good foretaste <laughs> what we're going to talk about. All right, Vince, favorite cereal? Um, favorite cereal is grape nuts. Are you serious? <laughs> Your favorite cereal in the world is grape nuts. Gravel. Yeah, I, I really like them. I like you, the crunch. I like I like it. It doesn't soak. <laughs> what happens if you oversoak them though? Yeah, that's nasty. Yeah, you, don't so want you to have that. to eat them. Quickly. Yeah, you eat them right away. Well, who's who's letting their cereal sit? I don't know. If you have to go to the bathroom or something during breakfast, I don't know. Well, then you shouldn't have poured a bowl of cereal. If you can't finish a bowl of cereal in a sitting, then you've got other problems. Maybe you should be eating. Uh, liquid something. So if you eat grape nuts, time your bathroom breaks really well. Well, I mean, whatever, <laughs> however you want. Okay. We're going to get into this. We're going to talk about it. No, let's go. <laughs> How about you, Eric? Let's just redirect. Yeah, I don't eat cereal either. Okay. Um, I do. Uh, you well, guys this, do CrossFit no. too? What else are we going <laughs> to announce? This do question you was your idea. Plunge? What, what do we do? <laughs> You're going to talk about all the other things you got, you healthy people do and don't do? I will eat granola, like loose granola. Oh, I have it like Friday mornings. I'll sit down with some sort of drink, have my granola, and that's my thing. That's what I do. By loose granola, you mean like if you took a Nature Valley bar and you hit it with a hammer. Yeah, you, you don't, don't have, have to. It, Those things are already crumbled up but in the that, package anyway. But would that be loose granola? Like just not a granola bar. Right. But loose They come granola. in a pouch. The granola <laughs> comes in a pouch. Kangaroo cereal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll sit there and eat that. Today's episode has been brought to you by Granola. <laughs> granola is our sponsor for today. Please support our sponsor, Granola. Granola. Free bag if you mention this podcast. Yep, free bag from, from Will. From Granola. <laughs> from Will. <laughs> Will is giving all of our sponsorships. I hope he listens to this one. Uh, I'll hear about it. Hey, let's actually talk about something the text, important, shall we? Yeah. Uh, how about I like, a recap, Vince? All right. Nehemiah chapter 5. Um, it begins with uh, a great outcry from the people. 
against their own people. Uh, the people in the city are being oppressed. There's injustice, and that injustice is actually coming from inside. So it's not oppression like we've seen from outside, enemies from the outside coming in. These are their own people who are um, creating some harsh living environments for the people. And so Nehemiah's response to that, verse 6, he was angry. Um, and because of his anger, uh, he held a great assembly, we're told, and and brings it out, uh, confronts. Uh, he So the, the ABC is what I went through yesterday. He was angry. He brought charges against the people who were uh, bringing the injustice, and then he brought correction. He gave them some ways to correct this. And he doesn't leave it hanging. He also gives an example, his own life, really as an example of how he cared for those who were facing injustice uh, that he saw. So from his own position, he did not um, require uh, taxes from the people to to feed them. He, he brought people to his own table, fed them, cared for them in that way. So there's this example from Nehemiah about what it looks like to care for people who are being, who who have the, the opportunity to be treated poorly. So he's he's treating them well. So that's chapter 5. It's kind of a strange insert into the book of Nehemiah so far because it's been mostly about the rebuilding, and then there's this stop in the, in the book that goes to this chapter. Yeah, so maybe let's start here. How does this then fit into the context of the book? How, how does this fit into the flow of the book? It doesn't. I mean, it's... It is a little bit of an abrupt change. I think from last week to this week, there is this, the, the efforts are there for rebuilding. And we see the the people, well, maybe maybe this way. I mean, I'm linking things together here. I don't know if that was a pointed question. Did you have an answer that you wanted me to say? No. Okay. No, go. <laughs> um, the, the people last week we ended with, as they faced the opposition, they rallied together. So they were a people together which is absolutely needed. These people needed to be together. And I think probably helped them even in this chapter where they began to see, hey, these are our people. So there is a way to treat one another, and this is not what's happening. Um, so it's linked in that way. It's, it's very different than the rest of the, the chapters we've seen already. I found myself wondering, too, if um, part of the reason they weren't able to tend to their fields and their flocks and all the things, I know it says there was a famine, but they'd been working on the wall. Yep. And so they had all had to put aside their planting and their harvesting and all of that, put aside the work that they were normally doing in order to build the wall. Yep. And so now they're facing the consequences, and that's probably not a good word, but they're facing the consequences of this season of rebuilding. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I want to I want to start here as far as a bigger discussion topic. Vince, you mentioned this. At the beginning, we see injustice happening. They're confronted on the injustice. And then in verse, uh, what is it? Verse 13, um, it ends with saying, And all the assembly said amen and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised, which was to correct their injustices. So they're seeing, in, at least in some sense, a rebuke as a blessing. Yeah. We spent a little bit of time on this yesterday. I want to talk about this more because I think this is really difficult for us as believers, yet a grace to us as believers. And so um, wh- why do you suppose, listen, let me ask this, why is it hard for you personally, I'm assuming it is, to either give a rebuke, like give a correction to a brother or sister in Christ, or to receive one? What makes that exceptionally difficult? 
I think it's humbling to receive a rebuke. And I think it exposes all over again our need for a savior. You know, and I think we're we're prone to forget that we need a savior when yeah. it comes to these day to day things. We try to live in such a way that um, we act like we don't need Jesus a lot of the time. And so it's humbling. Um, it's humbling to know that I've broken relationship or that I've maybe sin tendencies that I thought were better um, better hidden or better controlled are actually more in the light than I realized. Mm-hmm. And so that's humbling. Mm-hmm. I also wonder if it's re- it's actually the the rebuke is actually revealing something we do already know about ourselves, mm-hmm. but we've been trying to manage or been trying to hide. So as you were thinking, or as you were talking, Kirsten, I was thinking. You were talking, I was thinking. Um, as you were talking, the thought came to mind that I don't know if it's. Yeah, I, I just wonder if it's more of a. Um, I know that this is here. I don't like to be called on it because I already know it's there and I've been trying to manage it and I thought I was doing a good job, but clearly I'm not. It, it actually was visible. Yeah, it speaks to shame, doesn't it? I mean, we're, we feel ashamed that there's this part of us that we want to hide and yet we're not doing a good job of hiding it. Or for me, sadness, embarrassment that I've hurt other people, that I've allowed my sin to flow out in such a way that other people are being affected. I mean, the number of times I have one kid in particular um, that he and I are wired very similarly. And so we tend to butt heads a lot. Um, and the number of times that I've called him on something and either he calls me back on it or later on Vince will say, you know, when you were calling this kid on this thing, you do this too. And that's, that's hard because I think, um, it exposes my heart that I, I'm calling someone on something and I'm not actually living to the standard that I'm asking somebody else to live up to. And so I'm, the lens is on them rather than examining my own heart and my own sin. Which is why we don't, which is part of the reason why we don't like, like that rebuke or, or uh, I'll say this way, why we don't like to rebuke, bring, bring something into the light because we've probably experienced in the past that when we do that, it's also turned on us. Um, And then so, so the less we can bring something to the light for someone else, the less it may be turned on us. So if we all just live in this sort of, you know, watered down world, the better, right? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I don't I'm not saying that's right. So I'm just saying, I, I wonder if that's a piece of how we, we interact with this. It's, I think it's, um, it's as challenging to get to a place of having the courage to bring something to the light for someone else Um, for what you said, Kirsten, what are they going to think of me? How's this, you know, what's this going to look like? Am I going to hurt them in the process? This is going to be painful all the way around. Um, and so I think because of that, because of cowardice, we tend to just let things go. But what, what ends up happening? Sorry, I'll stop talking after this. What ends up happening is we let things go. And I think the enemy uses that to continue to, to poke that thing at us as an annoyance. So here's something that I could call someone on, and it needs to be called out. Um, it is a sin that they may not see. It's a blind spot in their life. I don't know if I want to do that. It's a lot easier just to let it go. But then I think the enemy grabs that and says, but do you see it? Do you see it? Do 
you see it, and then it's just it just constantly builds and builds and builds. And then we get to this place when we finally do call call someone on. I've had this experience, and we say, I've seen this for years now. Well, why did you not tell me about it years ago? Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a lot of cowardice on, on my part. It takes a lot of courage. I'll put it positively. It takes a lot of courage. Yeah, I think in those situations, we tend to um, maybe value the relationship and what the people think of us more than we actually value the person. Um, because we're scared that the conflict is going to create tension in the relationship and then the friendship is going to change. And so rather than addressing the issue that we see, we just kind of let it let it go in hopes that we'll be able to maintain the relationship. And so there is there is an aspect of cowardice and also I think just fear and we make it that we make their issue about ourselves. What's more comfortable for me? What's more comfortable for me is to just keep things as they are. I'm going to be a peacekeeper. I'm not going to make peace. I'm going to keep peace because that's easier for me. Which means that if we're in that place, then we are unwilling to give this gift to the other person. If it truly is a blessing, if it truly is a gift, a, a, a gift of grace to the other person, then we are selfishly not participating in that. And then conversely, if so, if Often what I do is I can subconsciously or maybe even consciously, I have to think about it, make it difficult for somebody to rebuke me because I don't like to be rebuked. Then I'm making it difficult to receive a gift of grace from somebody else, right? So if we look at it biblically anyway, that, that's the lens I think we have to look at it from. Well, and I, I've been in a situation several years ago now that someone invited me in to speak into their lives and they asked me like, basically opened the door and said, do you see areas in my life that I need to grow? And I said, yeah, I do. And I did it in a very loving way, but they were not at all at a place that they were actually ready to hear it. And so I think they like the idea of opening themselves up. Um, it went really, really poorly. Um, and so, and that relationship is, is gone now. And so I think, you know, I, I think we have to reframe it that, we have to be willing to hear it and consider what's being said rather than when the rebuke comes, then being defensive about it and saying, well, that's not me. You don't know me. Mm-hmm. If you really knew me, you'd know that's not my issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to receive mm-hmm. it, even if it's delivered poorly, mm-hmm. right? Not tactfully, maybe the wrong tone, maybe wrong timing, all of that. How can I then still receive it without immediately pushing it back or, or rejecting it? I mean, it's that old saying that there's a little bit of truth to every every bit of conflict that you you know encounter that there there's some small truth that you can take away from it hmm. so we talked about a couple of things about what makes it hard let's let's turn that to the positive how is rebuke a blessing or how is it a gift of grace uh, i mean i think we can i think it's probably a, an area where we can all talk about how it ought to be a gift of grace <laughs> um it's it's a little more difficult to actually say, yeah, here it is a gift of grace. And I, I mean, in all situations, it's a gift in that I think as believers who have, have the Holy spirit, we desire to be growing in our likeness of Christ. And as we're, as we are confronted with ways in which we've sinned or have sin tendencies or lean in one direction or the other, or have hurt someone, um, it is an opportunity to be more like Jesus, to see those things changing and and to be turning to be more like Jesus. So 
And in that, it's a gift. We are then walking in fellowship with with God because of our our move toward Him in that way. So, I mean, that's a gift. It's I think on this side of the uh, on this side of the confrontation, it's easier to see it as a gift than in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, it's easy when my emotions are calm. But another way way of looking at it is if I am being rebuked away from sin, then I am being rebuked. I'm being guided, lovingly guided away from something that's going to cause death in my life in some mm-hmm. in some ways and to life itself, right? So it's really, zoomed all the way out, death to life, yet, man, I don't want it. <laughs> it's painful. It's humbling. It's at times embarrassing. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, it, it exposes a lot of our heart um, and our wrong affections and our wrong identities. You know, often my... When I've been rebuked, it, it has to do with identity and where am yeah. I finding my significance. And so it, it trickles down deep into my heart to, to really navigate how how did that get there and how hard is it going to be to to weed out? Because it's often not just, it's not like a single root dandelion. I mean, it's like a aspen grove yeah. <laughs> down in my heart that it actually bleeds into every aspect of my life. So I'm going to be a little risky here and... I am, I I am going to invite our listener to <laughs> to uh, to have permission to rebuke me. Now, if you don't know me well, I mean it's a little bit harder. But I'm giving you permission to approach me if you see sin in my life to help me turn from what will lead to death in my life in some way. But be kind. Please be gentle. Please pray about it first. And but don't be silent. Is that is that open to me too? Uh, it's our listener, really. Oh, I guess you are me, listening, though. Hey, I was thinking about this as we were talking about it. In my head, I've been reading through the Proverbs, and in my head, I'm like, "There's pro- there are Proverbs about this, right? There are, there are. So as you all are talking, I was trying to listen, but also look up some passages. And this is the one that came came to mind. It has 27.5. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Think about that. That. An open rebuke is better than some twisted kind of fake love towards someone. The next verse is, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And uh, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So to think about the fact that this is um, the, the rebuke, that correction's from a friend. And those wounds, although they're wounds, are out, out of love, true love. And I think that is a huge push towards living in community, that you're known. Yeah. You know, that if I see somebody on the street doing something they shouldn't do and I go rebuke them, like there's there's no relationship there. They don't know that I care at all about them, and I probably don't. Um, <clears throat> and so I think being in community and being in relationship um, is key to that. I mean, like a picture that keeps coming to mind, years ago Vince went to Sudan, and one of the issues that the church in Sudan was dealing with was polygamy. Like the pastors had multiple wives. And it's easy from our American perspective to say, well, don't do that. That's sin. The Bible speaks against it. But as, you know, their feet were on the ground in Sudan, they realized, well, it's an agrarian culture. These women cannot survive apart from having a husband. They are women that have children. And all of their husbands were killed in a civil war. And so there's not enough men to go around. There's not enough. Um, There's nobody in the church to care for these women. And so these husbands did the only thing they knew to do was marry multiple wives. And so I think sometimes 
we're quick to rebuke before we actually understand the situation. And it doesn't make it any less sin, but it actually gave me some compassion to understand, oh, wow, like they've had so much ripped away from them and they're doing what they know to do. They're doing the best they can. And so, you know, I, I think, again, we need to be in community. We need to be in relationship. We need to be willing to hear rebuke, but also be slow to rebuke. Um, so that we actually know we're going in with understanding of the situation and not just a surface level of what we're seeing. Yeah, most of the sins I think we're, we're probably um, seeing in the lives of others are, are sins that we would only know in the context of relationship. If there are sins that we see outside the context of relationship, the, that's gotten to a place of, of what ought to be an open rebuke um, which is why better is an open rebuke than hidden love, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Um, so much of this, I don't know how many times I've been in a situation where I've I've thought through or talked about wh- without using names, hey, here's a situation that I'm dealing with. And the person I'm talking to says, oh, well, that's easy. Just do this, this, and this. And my mind goes, to, yeah, but you don't understand the situation. This happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and this is how it all played out, and this has been years in the making. And so there's so much. I'm, I'm agreeing with you, Kirsten, that there's so many things that can only be understood in the context of relationship, which is where that um, rebuke and correction ought to be coming from, from the context of relationship. And I wonder if... I wonder if some of the fear we might have in the church is this this idea that well we're in the church we're all Christians we're all in the same boat here I'm gonna I'm gonna be rebuked right and left mm-hmm. um, and I don't know that that's a I don't know that that's a fear that's founded in anything we've seen or experienced but just the assumption that maybe this will happen the correction that I've received has almost always true correction, I should say, that that's helpful, has almost always come from people I, I know well who are in my lives all the time. Does that make sense? Did any of that make sense? All right. I think shifting lanes a little bit, um, just thinking about Nehemiah, and he, it's not along the lines of rebuke any longer, but just that he saw his people hurting again. And so I think when when someone is rebuked and someone is suffering because of that rebuke, um, you know, I think our call needs to be that we're going to suffer with them, that we hurt with them, that we understand, we come from understanding and saying, you know what, maybe what you're rebuked for is not, I've not been rebuked specifically for that, but I can understand the root sin. I've under, I understand pride. I understand, you know, having an identity that's not in Christ. I understand you know, these certain sin patterns. And so coming alongside when people do receive a rebuke and, and, and approaching them with understanding and just expressing our joint need for a savior, that it's not that you need Jesus more than I do, but that um, we're all in this together and we're in different boats maybe, but really all the, the sin, the root sins are the same. Which is, yeah, that's what I, I tried to bring this up yesterday, whether or not it was communicated well that when we move in this direction, there's got to be a ton of humility and a lack of judgment, um, meaning a lack of, uh, a lessening judgment um, from, uh, against one another. Because I, like I said, I, th- I think we often go into these things f- 
thinking we understand the situation. And if you were more like me, you would do it this way. So you should stop. But to bring that judgment down and in humility, say, I do understand at least your root sin. I've been there before. And uh, these are the things that have been helpful, or I'd love to walk with you through this or whatever that looks like. And that actually requires love and doesn't, and not just a hammer or yep. I want to get after you because I'm upset with you for some reason. So I'm going to point out these 10 things that you need to grow in and I'm going to peace out. Like that's, we're not talking about that. We're talking about some gentle restoration yep. that we see in Galatians 6, motivated out of a love for a person. That, so that means being gentle and empathy and yep. compassion and being able to identify with the pieces that are, that are there. And a recognition that the person who's called me on something is not going to then walk away. Yeah. That's the hope, right? That, that, and, and I think we've seen the opposite, you know, that, uh, I mean, personally, we've probably all seen the opposite that we're called on something. And then the person is either gone, there's conflict that happens and, and some party leaves. So to know, Hey, these people love me. They love me so much that even though they've called me on something and it would be much easier for them to now walk away, they're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. We're going to be in community. We're going to stay, stick this out together. Which is why it says, and all, I want want to touch on this, and all the assembly said, amen. Um, For Jimbo, um, all the people said, let's go. (laughs) Or for Zachary, all the people said, come on. (laughs) Your voice isn't quite deep enough for that one. Come on. I can't get down that low. No. Yeah. Um, I I want to shift gears a little bit. Go. We could probably talk a while. Are you shifting one. up or down? I don't know. Let's let our listener be the judge right. of that. Um, here's my question. In this last section of Nehemiah 5, we see Nehemiah uh, not taking the taxes that he could from the people um, because he saw the people were burdened. So he's setting aside something he had a right to do for the good of the people. Like he is personally, um, through much expense, caring, caring for the people. Um, and so I'm curious uh, if, if we can think of any current examples or current opportunities that the church or we as individuals set aside maybe some of our rights or what we think we are owed for the sake of somebody else. These are all hard hitting this week. Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're going right for the juggler this week. <laughs> I mean, I think back to Galatians 6.10, if one member suffers, the entire body suffers. And so let... Paul says, let us do good to all people, but especially to those in the family of believers. And so Nehemiah wasn't actually suffering. Like he was, he had every right to be living lavishly and he was living lavishly before he came to rebuild the walls. And he's now the governor and he has, he has every right to tax the people and, um, and he chooses not to, but he sees that the people are suffering. And so he steps into that with them and especially the body of believers. And so um, I, I think it's an expression of his faith. I think it's an expression of how he uses his resources. You know that his resources, um, he, he used them to praise God and for the benefit of the people above and beyond building his own kingdom. Um, you know, and I'll just, I'll loop this in because I felt convicted about this yesterday that with like the building campaign and stuff that's coming up, like Nehemiah's concern was not how can I advance myself, but how can I care for the people? And so, um, and if you notice at the very end, he says, um, and, and God, remember me or remember what mm-hmm. I've done. I don't have the words right in front of me. 
Um, but I think he also had an eternal perspective on how he used his resources, how he used his finances, because he's thinking eternally, like there will be reward for me in heaven one day. God, remember mm-hmm. that I'm doing this. But his concern was not his own comfort. His concern was not um, his ease of life, but it really was caring for the people of God. And so for my own heart, just thinking, all right, what areas can I give up? Where can I give um, financially to the building or whatever um, that doesn't advance my own comfort? But really, my concern is for the people of God. I think where I'm convicted, by the way, I did not pay Kirsten to say that. <laughs> Maybe we should have. Oh, yeah, we should have. But where would we have gotten that money? Kirsten, can you spot us 20 bucks? So we can... <laughs> it's from our sponsor, Granola. Wills Thank Wills you, Granola. Wills Granola. Wills um, I think where I'm most convicted is not most of, is not most about money, although there there ought to be some conviction there. How I'm more open handed with the re- the the uh, physical resources I have. I think where I'm more convicted is giving up the right of my time or my mm-hmm. my um, yeah, emotional relational energy. Whenever. Whenever I'm, I have a little bit of space and and time to just be, I want that for me. Um, and so to be open-handed with that, uh, to think differently about that, is something that is challenging for me, convicting to me. And, and to be completely honest, um, there are a lot of times I'm unwilling to give on it. And and so I think I I think about it that way. If this were if I were in Nehemiah's shoes. Um, would I have would I have thought in the same ways if it were about time? I think I'm much more much more willing to let go of some money because there's no real uh, immediate um, challenge to my life. Whereas if I have a, an opportunity to go for a run or go you know sit and do nothing or read a book or go back to my shed or whatever, and then something happens where I have the opportunity also to care for someone or, or visit someone or whatever that is. Um, I feel that pull. That's where I'm convicted. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I first John four says, if anyone loves God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. Um, and I just think Nehemiah, you're calling me a liar. No, I'm not. Okay. You were, you owned it. Okay. <laughs> so you're not I'm calling myself a liar. Okay. <laughs> but I think Nehemiah repeatedly considered the outcome and the benefit above and beyond his own comfort. Um, and he considered what would benefit the community more than what would benefit himself. And, and it was extensive. Yeah. I mean, and that's really convicting for me to consider, you know, yeah. what, what benefits the community above and beyond myself. Cause I, I struggle with the same selfishness of not wanting to be flexible, not wanting to let go of my schedule, my agenda, um, I'm glad you picked up on it. I actually don't have that struggle, but I said it, hoping oh, that you, yeah, hoping that passive. you would see that it's okay. actually you that. Thank I'm you talking for that gentle rebuke. <laughs> Just joking. Yeah, let's practice rebuking right here on the podcast. <laughs> Eric, where do you 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 can't just be the question asker. Mm, you kind of like to be that. Yeah, though. I know. Yeah, I, I identify with the time and energy yeah. quite a bit as well. Um, I'm talking about this earlier. I have certain expectations on my day or my week, um, and if there are, I guess, uh, interruptions, or maybe I should see them more as opportunities come God, up to God ordained <laughs> moments. Right. That's right. That that can that can be hard for me because it means something else is being given up, right? And so that can be that can be really challenging. Even if it's better for that person, or better for the church, or better for a family, right? That can be challenging. 
And I think that speaks to using gifts in the church in a way. Um, I have I have a thought trail here. We'll see if it comes to fruition. Um, like one thing I was thinking a lot about last week was that there was a place for everybody to work on the wall. And just com- thinking about that compared to Second Corinthians, is it 9 that talks about the body? First Corinthians. The, first Corinthians. Um, and so this week we see that Nehemiah has wealth and first Corinthians nine says, you know, if, if you have means be generous and do it with a joyful heart. And so you see that he used those gifts for the body. And so I think, um, you know, I think sometimes our selfish tendencies also are paired with our gifting. Mm. And so there's a, there's always a tension there because I think our, our, our gifts tend to be things that we can use maybe easily, and yet we want to put a limit on how God's going to use those. Um, and mm-hmm. so often there's a tension there that we feel that, well, I'm, I've already used my gift today. I'm tired. I don't want to do anymore. And so I think that's where God forces us into a reliance on him of pairing our gifting with our weakness in that as well. And so, you know, we see that Nehemiah, I mean, he used his generosity over and over for 12 years. Um, and it was no small commitment. I looked it up, and it was more than 4,000 bulls that he sacrificed, and it was more than 26,000 sheep. I mean, it was a big commitment that he— Over those 12 over years. Over those 12 yeah. years that he committed to feeding those 150 people. And so I'm sure there were times that he felt tension mm-hmm. about the generosity that he was pouring out. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet I think that forces us into a place of reliance on the Lord so that it's actually— God that's being glorified and not us being filled up because our gifts are being used. Yeah, he's the one who's given us the gifts, and those gifts are to be used for the building up of the body. We are dependent on him completely for those gifts, and uh, and, I, and I think we often, I often, I'll put it on me, I often then grab onto it and say, well, this is my gift, right? When it, that's that's foolishness. So here's a, another maybe hard question. It's a little bit of a rabbit trail, but hopefully not a lot. So whether we're talking about money, time, or energy, none of us has an infinite supply. And there are certain ways that we should use all three of those things for our own health, own good, mm-hmm. our family's good. And so I think sometimes it would be hard to find why it might be a healthy boundary on that. And so it isn't give 100% of the time and then you end up, destroyed in a year or two or, or something of that sort how how do you work through that how do you know where you come up against that boundary and where you need to say no i'm going to sacrificially give here even though it's costing me x y or z i'm going to say something that i could be rebuked on okay let's do it <laughs> and we could all i could be corrected but i'm, I'm gonna make a, a really extreme statement and then maybe i'll back up i wonder if we ever get to the point of going beyond our boundaries in truly, truly serving others. What I mean is, I think there are times when we try to put up boundaries, and um, and and we do put up boundaries, but that may be more in self protection. And the the other opposite, the op, the other side of that would be no, we just work, 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 and we're always serving people. But I would make I would I think I'd ask the question: Is it truly serving other people, or is it serving your own ego in some way? Does that make sense? So, so 
I, I understand the the sort of shift of the extremes that could be said there. Well, I want to protect my boundaries and that's self care. At the same time, you go to the other extreme of I'm going to serve all the time, but is that mm-hmm. also for self care? And so I wonder if we've ever served to the very end of our limits truly. Discuss. That's extreme. I I'm the one asking questions. No, I know, yeah. but I, uh, but. I, but I wonder if if only Christ is the one who has done that fully, fully served in a healthy way to to his limits, emptied himself, emptied himself completely, and it was actually an emptying of himself, like emptying out everything that he possibly could to serve. Whereas we would say, "I've emptied out what I feel like I can," or "I've emptied out." I've emptied out everything when really you've emptied out a little bit and the rest of it is for your own self-promotion. Go. I hear what you're saying and I would agree with that. Yep. Okay. That's it. Next. (laughs) But I mean, for me, that's not helpful because then I start to second guess everything that I'm doing. And so I think for me, what I need, what, what I need to do practically is really look at my heart and ask, okay, am I serving here? Because I'm trying to gain something. Am mm-hmm. I trying to gain favor? Am I trying to gain reputation? Am I trying to gain, you know, whatever it is? Or am I truly seeking to love this person? Yeah. And that's um, what I mean. And so yeah. I, I think for me, it's just asking those hard questions. And even am I saying yes, because I'm scared to say no, or it feels awkward to say no, or am I saying no, because I'm being selfish? Um, and so wrestling through those things and really saying, what what does love look like in this situation? Is it most loving to serve here? Or are there lessons that be, can be learned by the person and by me by saying no? Yeah. Um, and so just asking some of those practical, hard questions. Um, and then I think regarding limits, just for me, I constantly go back to my grace is sufficient for you for my powers made perfect in weakness. And so knowing those times that I do feel my limits and my boundaries really being pushed and, and considering that maybe God has put me in that place so that his power is being displayed and not my own. And so I, I've reached the end of what I feel like I'm able to do. And yet that's where God shines most brightly often. Yeah. And so often our choices are between two good things. I can either serve here, pour out time and energy here, wherever here is, or I can serve and pour out my energy it toward my family at home. Right. And both are good things. And so we're discerning and, and that's thank God for the spirit, right. That that's at work in us to, to direct and, and give us freedom where that, that needs to be too. But often we're faced, it, it, it's easier if it'd be like, well, I could serve or I could not serve ever if those were the two options, but often it's, I could serve here or I could serve here, or I could serve here. And how do I how do I balance all that? Yeah. Yeah, and when it does come to time and energy, it's probably the better example with this. We see Christ who fully emptied himself, um, the only one to do it perfectly. And he still had rhythms where he would serve, 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 and then he would get away, right? And take some time for be filled up, I guess, to to experience that close communion one on one with God the Father, go back out, serve, serve, serve take a break, so to speak, yeah. put some boundaries on. I think it's wise as well to really create some categories that are biblical of understanding where do I prioritize my time. And so, you know, as a wife and as a mom, my priority is 
serving my husband and serving my children. And then everybody else and everything else comes after that. And I think for you all, um, even though you're leaders in the church, your priority is serving your wives. See, you're, you're caught here. <laughs> then serves me well. Um, no, but serving your wives and serving your children. And then the people of the church actually need to come second to that and to the way that you're serving your families. And so if you're not serving your families, your wives and your children well, then it, it doesn't really matter all that much if you're serving the church well, because you're not doing what God has prioritized for you. And so I think for all of us, we need to really consider where am I prioritizing my energy, my relationships, and are they prioritized in a way that God is honored? Or are they prioritized in a way that makes me feel good about what I'm doing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with the principle of love, I can't love like expend all the time and then be able to just continue to expend so some of the time away or take sabbath for example right god put that into the fabric of creation is there for a good reason but i need to be filled up as as do you all to still be able to love and to serve well and i think it is our issue isn't it because my capacity is probably different than yours and different than vince's and different than our listeners capacity Um, we got multiple listeners no is is listeners Apostrophe S. Oh, Not S apostrophe. Oh, I see how you were confused there. No, I didn't hear the apostrophe. <laughs> okay, I'm going to ask one more difficult question, and then we'll ask our normal last question. Okay, here's my last difficult question. You mentioned yesterday in this text that there that we often feel a tension today of upholding God's truth, what he said is right and wrong, what leads to life, what leads to death, and at the same time do that in a way that is loving to those that we interact with. In our culture today, there's a lot of tension around that. Um, how? So here's the hard question. How do we navigate that well as a believer in America in 2023? I don't know. What's your last question? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the, the thought there yesterday as I was thinking, thinking through it and, and speaking on it was the injustice piece. The world will often see injustices that um, will that that they then try to impose on everyone to see as injustices and those injustices that are imposed on everyone don't often uh, sometimes do not align with God's truth you have an example um yeah I knew you were gonna do this let's do it yeah um an example would be uh, there's a current trend of acceptance of um gender identity um accept 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 roll with it accept um and if you don't then that is a mistreatment of that person somehow does violence to them or is an injustice to them it's an oppression against them it's offensive um now hang on everyone so just a, just a second. So that's imposed on us that this must be the case. God's word is very clear that God has created us male and female, or I should use the word or male or female. Um, and what, and he has not made mistakes in his creation for us to rearrange and change. We believe that that's true. Therefore, for me to um, affirm in in an accepting kind of way that promotes the behavior of that person, I think goes 
goes against what God's word speaks as truth. And that is seen as offensive. Um, And so now that where I said, hold on for just a second, I think there are ways that we can lovingly interact and have um, a, a growing relationship with, and even a loving, deeply loving relationship mm-hmm. with those who are wrestling through these things. Mm-hmm. The door does not have to be shut. And that's what I was getting at. And that, that's what I think. Uh, I would love to see us be growing as a church and not, not just as a church here in this building, but as, as a church scattered throughout the city and the different pockets that we're in to be growing in a firm foundation of the truth of God's word. And at the same time, a a deeply loving mm-hmm. uh, posture toward the people we're in relationship with, mm-hmm. and um, and so and I think it can it, it can exist, um, but I don't think that happens. I may, may say something here that may get a rise, but I don't think that happens in the church building. What do you mean? I don't think that door. Um, necessary the the place for that door to stay open is not necessarily in the church building on a Sunday morning. It's it it's it happens best six and a half days out of the week in the relationships that you currently have mm-hmm. as you're interacting with, growing in relationship with, and, and extending the love of Christ to others. I'm not saying it doesn't happen here, but it, but I would say it happens best in those other you know six and a half days where you're building a relationship with people. The, the love of Christ extended with the upholding of the truth. Because the church on a Sunday morning, sorry, Kirsten, I see you raising your mic. The church on a Sunday morning is most about upholding the truth of God. Yes, is that done in love? And yes, are, are we in a relationship? Yes, yes, yes. But um, the real the real fruit of, of that relational connection is probably going to happen outside of a Sunday morning. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. I was just thinking... Uh, that movement in particular is unique because for the most part in our culture, um, we don't identify people by their sin. We don't say, you're a murderer and I'm going to celebrate that, or you're a rapist, I'm going to celebrate that, or you're a slanderer. You know, like those are not things that we tend to celebrate, and yet this particular movement is hard because people have taken their identity and, and... what we would say from the Bible is sin and made it who they are. And so it's, it's a pretty sticky, sticky situation to have. to. And they're asking us to affirm it. And they're asking us to affirm it. But I think, um, I mean, our testimonies matter and the way that we engage with people matters. And especially on these hot button topics, the way that we're handling them. And I think we're really quick and this sounds like a trite little saying, but we're really quick to um, hate hate the sinner and the sin um, in this situation. And yet we're, we're told that we're supposed to love the sinner, hate the sin. And so, you know, Paul says, you know, above all these things put on love. And so if we're not engaging with these people in love, if we're not letting them know, actually, I care deeply about you. I'm not trying to fix you because that's only a work the Holy Spirit can do. And I think that we take like, we take the truth of the Bible and we slap people with it and expect them to be endeared by the slap that they just got rather than appealing to them in love and saying, I love you. I know you. I understand where you're coming from. 
I see, you know, I struggle with where my true identity lies. I see that you struggle with where your true identity lies. And so I think, again, it all has to be done in the context of relationship and love and not just a truth slap and expecting people to respond well to that. I mean, I've never been, I don't think I've ever been slapped on the face, but I can guarantee you if I was, I would not think, oh, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for doing that. You know, like I would be offended. I'd be hurt. Um, especially if it was somebody by somebody that, you know, I didn't know that cared about me. And so, um, I think often we, we have it backwards in that we're trying to proceed love with, we're just noisy gongs, you know, that Paul says in first Corinthians 13, you know, if I, if I have not love, all of these things are just noisy gongs. The problem is that this may get, this may get longer. This may be our longest one yet. The problem is, is that what we don't intend to be a slap in the face often feels like a slap in the face um, to those who don't don't have the spirit, to those who don't believe that there is a standard for truth. Um, e- even the most loving gesture, if we take a stand for truth, feels like a slap. And I think some of that's to be expected. Um, and, and that's what's hard, is that we're going to face up. Op- we're going to face moments that um, it feels like we have offended and we've lost a relationship or we've, we've messed up or, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Um, there are loving ways to proceed, and yet as loving as we want to be and try to be uh, may still feel like a slap in the face to someone who doesn't believe that that's truth. And that's where it gets hard. That's where, and that's the culture we live in. By the way, uh, you asked me for an example, Eric. I, um, that is an example of a thousand other things yeah. or more, and and, I, and we can list things in our own lives. So I don't mean to I don't mean to say those people of any of any part of this. It's it's things that we're all we would all deal with. But um, to uphold the truth, to stand to stand firmly in it, and also extend the love of Christ is the tension that's there. But attention, I think, uh, not the, the tension doesn't need to be there. Both can exist. Um, yeah, because otherwise, I mean, if, if there are things the culture is demanding that we affirm in people, there's lots of examples, like you said, the church then is being told by the culture to affirm things in people the Bible says is causing death in their life. Yeah. It's harmful to them eternally, but not even just eternally. We see death in our current lives because of sin. And so... That's that's often where the church finds itself. We're being asked, being demanded by the culture to affirm sin or, or affirm death yeah. in people's life. It's a hard place to be. Here's what's also interesting. I, I think an area where we, this goes back to Nehemiah five, by the way. So let's let's make sure we're tying this. This isn't just a, a a soapbox kind of thing. I don't want it to be that. I don't think it is. Nehemiah five is about the injustice that the people were facing. Yeah. There are times when these pockets uh, of culture that that we're being asked to affirm are actually being treated harshly. Yeah. And often that harsh treatment comes from those who claim the name of Christ. Mm-hmm. I think we have an opportunity as a church, as the church, but as our church locally, to rearrange what feels like uh, um, mistreatment for for certain groups of people, large groups of people, that we can actually extend love toward them. They can sense that. They can feel it. They they know it. 
um, that that the injustices in their own minds aren't there because we are extending love, true love. So ditches on both sides. Yeah. And we see Jesus do that with the woman at the well. Yeah. You know, that she's been treated badly by her culture, by the people in her town, because her lifestyle is such that she's, you know, she's had five husbands and her most current one is just a man she's living with. And Jesus, he, he loves her. You know, he talks to her, he engages with her at a point of, with respect in a way that is honoring to her. And yet he also calls her to worship. He calls mm-hmm. her to right worship. And so I, we see Jesus do that, but it was all done, first of all, in love, mm-hmm. um, not, not in this, like, you stupid woman, what are you thinking? It was because he loved her. And so maybe that's where we need to be in. Uh, of course it is. I'm praying that God would grow my love for people of whatever groups it is that maybe I wrestle with or am quick to judge or don't right. want anything to do with. Yeah. And and he didn't avoid speaking truth. Mm-hmm. He said some really hard things to her. Yeah. And he was very straightforward. But it was clear to her that he he had spent the kind of time on the front end that that she he had won won an opportunity to be be a part of speaking into her life. And I think that's the piece we often miss. We often see the thing that that needs correcting and go straight to that instead of building a relationship to get to know what's underneath the uh, the areas of, of needing correction. Because it's a person. Right. Yeah. A, a person who has a lot of things that have made them who they currently are, just like there are a lot of things mm-hmm. that may, have made me who I currently am, mm-hmm. for good and bad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we, we walk toward it in that way. All right. I'm going to stop the discussion there. I'm going to ask a surprise. Because, because we figured it out. Because I think we solved everything. <laughs> <laughs> Show me or tell me what in this text raises your affections for our good God. Mm. You ask it every week and every week. You're I'm surprised. Not, I'm not prepared. <laughs> yeah. I think for me um, this week is just seeing the consistency of God throughout Scripture. Hmm. Um, I was telling you all earlier that in Leviticus 25, God gives very explicit instructions of how um, the Israelites are to care for the people um, in their own community who um, are struggling with um, not having enough. And then it comes up again here in Nehemiah and God redirects and corrects. And then we see it in the New Testament too, you know, that... um, you know, when, when one person hurts, we all hurt. And so I think just the, the consistency of God throughout Scripture, that he's not changing what he's saying, and we can see it woven throughout the entirety of Scripture, um, and that he's a God who was able to write a book over the course of thousands of years mm-hmm. and keep the narrative the same. Mm-hmm. That's good. Keeps the narrative the same because it is the same from his, from his character. Yeah. I think the thing for me... Um, is I already I already hit on it, joked about it for Jimbo and Zachary. But um, after Nehemiah brings some pretty strong rebuke and correction to the people, their response together it says, "All the assembly said, Amen." And just to this, to see the kind of unity that is there from the people, and their Amen was not just in word. It says they praised the Lord. And the people did as they promised. So they obeyed as well. I look at that and I think that's a community that I want to be a part of. And, and we have that here. We have that at, at, at 
our church for sure. We have a kind of community that that is that way. And I look at it and I think, and that's not of us. That's absolutely of God. Um, that that He would give us the Spirit to bring the kind of fruit that we're able to see is amazing. That He's that together we can say Amen or let's go, or come on. <laughs> um, we can say those things and look around at other people who are also in agreement and that the Spirit's at work in all of us. Uh, it's amazing to me. Yeah, well, I don't have anything new to add on that. You can't um, just ask the I, questions. I know, I can't just do that. But, but you're it, going to. Eric, it, yes, what, what in this passage made you <laughs> okay. see and worship more of God? I am the one who asked the question. <laughs> um, actually, Coming off of what you said, Kirsten, the consistency of God, we see God here carrying much of what his people look like. This is, this is internal, which is consistent with what he wants the world to look like and what's outside of Israel as well. And so he doesn't like play, he doesn't play favorites with his people in a sense that you guys can do whatever you want. You're my, like my spoiled children, and I'm just going to be wrathful towards sin outside of my spoiled children. He wants best for his for his children as well and that includes a right view of sin and a right view of community and how we relate to each other well and i think in part because it reflects how other people see god mm-hmm. you know that in this situation the um, the leaders of the city were not treating the people any differently than the enslavers had treated the people mm-hmm. and that says something about these people's god and so how often it is that i consider how i treat my kids because I know my neighbors are watching or, you know, whatever it is. And not, not that I'm seeking my neighbor's approval, but I think that, man, the way that I treat people, the way that I interact with people, the way that I live matters because it says something about who God is. Yeah. And so God is jealous for his, for his reputation. We see that in this chapter. And it just so happens that God's jealousy for his reputation also works itself out with what is best for his people. That is a beautiful truth of a good God to his people. That's good. And we're going to end right there. We are almost at an hour, I think. So thank hey, you for listening. Yeah, thanks for being uh, being enduring there. <laughs> Chapter 6 and 7 this week. Yeah, so give it a look and we'll talk about it next Monday. Have a great week. Yep, see you. Love you.